When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a special holiday gift to my listeners, I wanted to include everyone in my Patreon experience. Here is a sampling of the kind of content you can expect as a Patreon subscriber. For more information, go to patreon.com forward slash thoughts from a page or click on the link in my show notes. Today's bonus Patreon episode is with authors Elise Hooper and Linda Cohen-Loigman. They are recommending books about women with unusual careers. I had so much fun chatting with them, and this is a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it every bit as much as I enjoyed recording it. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, Elise and Linda. I am so glad you are both here to talk with me for this bonus Patreon episode. How are you both doing? I am doing great, and I'm so excited to talk with you and Elise, and thanks so much for having me. Yes, thanks so much for having us. This will be fun. I have been looking forward to talking books all week. I'm really excited about this, too, because I haven't done one with authors before, and I think it will be a different perspective and be interesting to hear what you guys recommend and what you read regularly. Yes. Why don't we start out with each of you talking a little bit about yourselves? Talk about your writing and talk about your latest book or earlier books, whatever you'd like to. Elise, would you like to start? Sure. So I'm Elise Hooper, and I write historical fiction. I live in Seattle, which is a great place to be a writer because for so much of the year, it's pretty gray and rainy. So it's really perfect conditions to be holed up both writing and reading. So I live in a good climate for it. And my latest book just came out in March. It's called Angels of the Pacific. And it is about a group of U.S. Army nurses during World War II who are in the Philippines and serve on the front lines and are then taken as prisoners of war. And so I've been having a good time for the last few months um, talking about these amazing both American women and Filipinas and connecting with new readers, both uh, online. And it's been so exciting to do in-person events again. That has really... Oh, I've been waiting for that. I think we all have for the last couple of years. So that's been really satisfying. It's so funny because that is the number one thing people are talking about is how wonderful it is to be back in person, at least part of the time. It really, really is. I mean, I think actually Zoom has really opened up a lot of possibilities for events because suddenly you can do all kinds of things that maybe in regular times you just can't hop on a plane and travel across the country very easily. But there is nothing like connecting face-to-face. So that's been really satisfying. Absolutely. Well, what about you, Linda? Hi, everybody. My name is Linda Cohen-Loigman, and I, like Elise, I write historical fiction. My 
third book is coming out in September, and that's called The Matchmaker's Gift. And it is historical fiction. It's a dual timeline story, but it actually has a little thread of magical realism, which I'm very excited about because that's something that I've sort of always wanted to include in my work and kind of veer in that direction a little bit and something that I could never really figure out how to do before. But I think I figured it out, um, or at least they're publishing it and it will be a book (laughs) that people can read. I live in New York. I live about an hour north of New York City. So we're having kind of a uh, a little bit of a cold spring here. It's gray here today, but you know, in general, we're we're making do. We're we're looking forward to summer, and I too am really looking forward to the book events that sort of happen over the summer. That I feel like in the summertime I get to New York City more, or at least in the before times I did. So I'm excited to just you know start going to more events and seeing more people because I think it's just so important. Like Elise said, for connecting with everyone, seeing people face to face, and just sort of getting people's reactions, you know, to the stories that they're reading and seeing that, that joy on their face. You know, you can see it over Zoom, but it's not really the same. Right. Totally agree. Well, and I'm so excited, Linda, because your book is our August Patreon early read. So everybody's going to get the widget early and meet with you in August and everybody is already super excited about it. It's going to be really fun. I'm so looking forward to that. Me too. Let me chime in to say too that I read that book early and everyone's in for a real treat. It's it's the perfect book for right now because it's so uplifting. So Linda, well done. You definitely figured out the magical realism and it's just such a charmer of a book. Everyone's in for a great treat ahead. That's what I keep hearing. So I'm really excited to get to it myself. It's sitting on my bookshelf and I'm excited for the group to get to read it and meet with you. Well, I can't wait. I know we're going to we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time today too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what are you both reading right now? Elise, do you want to start again? Sure. Well, I'll talk about a book I just finished that I am so excited about. It's actually a friend of mine from when I debuted with my first novel, The Other Alcott, back in 2017. I met Annie Hartnett. She was also a debut novelist that year with her book, Rabbit Cake. She's just put out Unlikely Animals. And this is another charmer of a book. I mean, this, I laughed out loud. I teared up. It is full of quirky characters, a wonderful small town story. My husband just traveled to Chicago for work and I thrust this into his hands as he was walking out the door. And he is normally a very slow reader. He came home two days later, finished the book, loved the book, was so excited about it. So that to me is also a real ringing endorsement. I cannot talk, you know, say enough good things about this one. It's really fun. I highly urge people for, again, we just need more uplifting stories these days. And this one, squarely falls into that category. That's so fun that your husband is reading with me. I know. My husband never wants to read with me. (laughs) I think I'm so jealous. I think that's amazing. Oh, I know. And he's actually a really tough critic. So the fact that he read it quickly and was so enthusiastic about it, I mean, really, when he got into the car, I picked him up at the airport and he's like, hey, I loved your friend Annie's book. I'm already done with it. And I almost fell off the car seat. I mean, I was truly astonished. So yeah, that's a really ringing endorsement. I I texted Annie immediately, (laughs) just saying how much we really just were absolutely smitten with it. It's fun. I feel like it's been all over Bookstagram lately, like not initially, but lately, and people have been raving about it. So that's wonderful. And that's so funny on your husband. Mine will read mysteries and thrillers, and I'll give him one, and I'll be like, oh, I just love this. It was so great. And he gives it back, and he's like, yeah, it was fine. I'm like, what do you mean it was fine? It was really good. 
And now he just does it to bug me unless he just totally loves the story. But it's pretty funny. I'm like, come on, it's better than fine. Oh, yeah. No, on this drive home, we were actually, (laughs) I mean, I sound so nerdy, but we were truly recalling some great scenes from the book and like chuckling aloud to each other about it. So this is that kind of book. It it, it is absolutely, it's all over Instagram because it's got this super cute cover with the foxes all over. It's a story with animals. There's kind of a Greek chorus speaking from a nearby cemetery. I mean, it really is just very original, quirky. If you're a fan in some ways of John Irving's real sort of small town New England stories, this is very reminiscent of that, I think. Oh, I love that. I love a prayer for, for Owen Meany. That's like yes. one of my all-time favorites. So that's, if it's quirky like that, I can't wait. It is. It is. In fact, that's exactly what Dave likened it to, my husband. <laughs> Suddenly he's becoming quite the book reviewer. <laughs> he's a critic. <laughs> Well, I still have Still Life that I bought on your recommendation, Elise, that I haven't gotten to yet. But when I was traveling sometime this spring, and I always stop in indie bookstores and you know, always feel like I need to buy something. And so I saw that there and I was like, oh, Elise swears this one's really good. So I have it on my bedside table and I will hopefully get to it at some point. I love that book. I still think about that book often. Now, that's an interesting one. My husband was not as turned by that one. He was kind of like, okay, I enjoyed this, but meh. I loved it. It, You know, I think maybe it is long and it's not a book with a ton of action. So I think that's maybe what lost him. But the characters in that book are so memorable. The wonderful setting of Florence. That's another one that I just really, I still think about it all the time. Well, I'm going to get to it this summer. I promise. (laughs) You'll love it. What about you, Linda? What have you been reading? You know, I just connected with a younger, younger than me novelist and writer Hannah Orenstein and because so her book it's her fourth novel it's called Meant to Be Mine and it's coming out in June and I just started reading it last night we connected because I really I had heard about that book and it's it has a matchmaker in it also sorry to harp on matchmakers and it has a grandmother and the grandmother the premise of the book is the grandmother in that story can predict accurately, has had success predicting the day when everyone in her family will meet like the love of their life. And it's such an interesting idea. And in a way, I don't know if you guys read Chloe Benjamin's The Immortalists, yes, which was out a while back. Mm-hmm. And so in that book, you know, each of the children found out the day they were going to die, um, which of course is a much darker thing than finding out the day that you're going to meet the love mm-hmm. of your life. But I don't think I would want to know either you know, bit of information because it just puts so much pressure on you either way. And so that's what I'm reading now. And I, I'm I'm really loving it. I've been having just these great emails with Hannah. I, I, I'm just, I'm just so impressed by her because when I was her age, I don't actually know how old she is. She's either in her late twenties or maybe she's 30. I don't even know, but she's, she's a dating editor for Elite Daily, which is a website. And I don't know, she just seems to have this whole writing thing down at such a young age. You know, writing was a career that I came to as a second career in my life. I was a lawyer before. And I'm just so impressed with someone who knows that that's it for them and figures out a way to do it and do it so successfully when they're so young. I mean, I'm just blown away by that. And I've just been enjoying just talking to her. We've just been emailing, but I'm hoping we'll get to meet up in person. Just been so enjoying talking to her about the inspirations for our stories. And, you know, obviously we're, we're so, you know, I'm 53. She's, I'm not sure how old, but a lot younger than me. <laughs> and it's so heartwarming to me that 
that books can bring us together, you know, that it's not just, and that's the thing that I'm looking forward to so much with in-person events too, is that, you know, it's, it's just people, all kinds of people that will come and people of all ages. And that, that's just such a nice bonus of getting to see people in person and connect with them that way. So that's what I've been reading. I started that last night and I'm sure I think I'll probably finish it tonight. One of her earlier covers was so cool, and I can't remember which book it was, but it was like matches, but they were actually people or something. Mm -hmm. That cover was so clever, and I just, it still stands out in my mind. I have never read her books, but I really liked that cover. Yeah. I I also, I have, I just gotten really excited to read The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams, which I've been seeing everywhere. And so I just got that at my local bookstore, and I'm I'm excited to start that one. And there, you know, whenever there's a book about words and. Right libraries, you know, books about books and words and books, you know, it's just, it's all like, I don't know. I I feel like, how can we all not love that as writers? (laughs) Of course, we're going to write it. It's like a built-in, you know, number one book. Yes. Well, and that's such an interesting story because Reese Witherspoon picked that this month. And I'm not sure she's ever picked a book like that that came out ages ago. And, you know, she picks it as her current pick. I think it's so, I would love to know what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that is, That's a nice kind of development though, because, you know, we're all so quick to move on to the next new shiny thing. And we don't always just sit for a moment with all the treasures that we have, you know? So I think, I think it's a really, it's a nice thing that that happened. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Opens the doors a lot wider too. Mm -hmm. So today's theme that you guys are going to talk about are books that contain women with unusual careers, which I think this is a fabulous theme. I always laugh when I say, I'm happy to give some suggestions or you guys come up with your own to whoever's doing these. And thankfully, most people come up with their own because they're way better than my very boring suggestions. So I love this theme. Great. So who wants to go first? Linda, you want to start us off? Sure. Well, of course, I... My favorite historical fiction of this year so far, really, or one of my favorites has a very unusual, has a woman with a very unusual career. So it's The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn, which I'm sure so many, so many of your listeners have heard of. But if they haven't, or if they haven't read it, this one, you know, we, we've had, a, there are a lot of World War II books about female spies, but this one is about a sniper. And I just thought, it's just, it's definitely her, my favorite of, of all of Kate's books. And it's just the language that she uses in this book, just the, the language of just kind of of having the patience, having the strength to do what this woman does. It's about it's based on a real person, Mila Pavlochenko, who becomes a sniper um, to fight Nazis. And she becomes known as Lady Death. And she has like 300 kills and it makes her a national heroine. And she ends up going to the U.S. on a goodwill tour and meeting Eleanor Roosevelt and it's just kind of about her, the loves in her life, about her being a mother because she's a very young mother before she ever goes to war, about her bad marriage. And all these things are sort of wrapped up in this career that she has that, that's just so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was just something about it that really struck me in a way that I don't think a lot of other the other sort of female spy books have. Um, she just is so well flushed out so real. You wouldn't think that a sniper would be a likable character <laughs> necessarily, but she she really is. And there's so much depth to her. So uh, that, that, was, that was one of mine for this fun theme that we've come up with. And she's Ukrainian, right? Yes. 
that's to me is so fascinating that in the midst of everything that's happening in our current world that, you know, that, that she is Ukrainian. Yes. Yeah. And I think Kate, I actually was so lucky. I got to see Kate um, in February because I ended up being in San Diego just really briefly with my husband and I got to meet her for coffee for an hour. And she was a little bit nervous about that at the time, you know, that, yeah. that because, you know, you don't want readers to misinterpret things. And, but this is truly based, you know, on, on this real person. And it's just fascinating. She, Kate is such a, she's just such a brainiac, you know, she's just such a stellar researcher. She's really, it's like she could be a professor, you know, teaching, teaching history. Um, and I just so appreciate that. And I'm so in awe of that ability. You know, I did a event with her last week, actually. And I was- I saw that. Yeah, we had a great time together. And, but I was asking her because I too really enjoyed the Diamond Eye. And and I was amazed at just how much, I mean, this sounds so silly, but how much goes into being a sniper. I mean, you really need to be pretty solid on your math and stuff because there are a lot of calculations you do as far as distance and physics and all kinds of things. And so- I was asking her if she went shooting, how she figured all this out. And you're you're exactly right when you talk about just her researching. She, because of the pandemic, she actually really couldn't do a lot of that kind of thing that maybe she would in more normal times. So it really was reading and and interviewing other people who are experts in that. And it was just fascinating. And the other thing I thought was so striking about this book is it's really one of the, I mean, and I say this as someone who's just written a book about women on serving on the front lines of a war, but hers is truly, I mean, my nurses are nursing on the, you know, they're not at war, they're not fighting. And this is really the only book that I could think of that was women truly on the front lines fighting a war. It's like war literature from a woman's perspective. And I just, as I was reading it, I was really captivated by that idea of, I felt like really new terrain that Kate was covering there. I totally agree with you. I, yeah, a hundred percent. It's just, it's language that you don't associate with a female main character. Right. You know, and, and I just think she did such a great job with it all the way around. For sure. I have not read that one. I've read The Rose Code. That's the only one of hers I've read because I'm totally fascinated with Bletchley Park. But it sounds like I need to add that one to my list. Yes, I love The Rose Code and I love this one too. I mean, they're actually very different, I would say. Yeah, it sounds like they would be. What's next? Elise, are you up? Sure. I can talk about this book I recently, I'm holding it up like you're, I'm actually looking at all of you. It's called Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. This was a book that as soon as I started reading, I was absolutely captivated. It's quite long, but I read it very quickly, which is always a good sign. It is about an aviatrix. It's historical fiction, and it's it's clearly teased out of the lives of some real women, Amelia Earhart and others. But this is all fiction, and it really opens Shipstead's sort of scope up so widely in ways that I thought really made this story so intriguing. It's actually set in the Pacific Northwest, mostly around Missoula and Montana. And this woman just sort of grows up with a real hard scrabble life, wanting to become a pilot. And that's just not something women were doing at this point. 1914 is when these twins, Marion, who's the main character, and her brother are rescued from a sinking ship. And they head out to Montana to be raised by an uncle. And then it goes, it covers several decades. And all the while, Marion is flying and flying sort of different types of jobs that involve flying. 
she is very discouraged from flying from not only other people she encounters just through sort of regular life, but also she ends up marrying someone who both enables her to fly, but then uses that as a real way to control her. So there's also a very tempestuous relationship at the center of this book. At the same time, it's a dual timeline. And the more current timeline is an actress in Hollywood. Her career is bombing big time due to a few sort of impulsive things she does, let's say, that could have landed her, you know, on the scandal pages of like Us Weekly and stuff. And so she's sort of trying to redeem her career by she takes this job of representing this aviatrix in this movie about her, kind of like what's possibly going to be sort of an art house film. And the way this all comes together is so clever. I I don't want to give away any spoilers, but there's a real payoff at the end of this book, um, some real surprises that are revealed through this dual timeline. And it's very clever. And I thought it was very satisfying. And, And something that just so captivated me about this book was that Maggie Shipstead is able to to weave in her research in ways that is very subtle. But if you know, if you, <laughs> if you are someone who appreciates research, I mean, it's evident on every page how much research this woman did. There are so many details she's gotten just right from history. I just was so impressed as I read every page just has some great little nuggets that both, I was right there. I mean, she has a real immediacy to her writing. So I was right there with this main character of Marion. But also I was, I still was able to hold on to that little bit of me, the writer that's kind of looking at this book, like, how is this author doing this? Really impressive. Total blue ribbon book. I really enjoyed this one. It is kind of sad, but to be honest, here I was talking earlier about the power of uplifting books. I also do love a good sad book. There's something, you know, those the sad books kind of haunt me and stay with me, and this is absolutely one of those. So I highly, highly recommend this one. It's just very clever. Uh, so many aspects of the story are very clever. And there were points where I was not sure where some of these tangents were going, but you just buckle up and just have some confidence that it's all going to work out, and it does. Okay, good. So Linda, what's next on your list? So this is a book that I honestly don't know how I came across it. I I cannot, (laughs) you know how sometimes you just have a book in your, you don't know where it came from? This is one of those books, but I really enjoyed it. It's called The Talented Miss Farwell. And it's by Emily Gray Tidrow, if that's how, I'm, I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name. I haven't read anything else by her. But this is a book, it's a little bit like a catch me if you can kind of a story. And it's set in the 90s. And it's about this woman, Rebecca Farwell, the talented Miss Farwell. And she lives in this little small town in Illinois. And she is this quiet, single person who her, you know, she, her parents have passed away. She comes from a very modest background. She wears sensible, sensible shoes. She works in the kind of like town administration office. I think she's, she's the treasurer. She becomes the controller. But when you first meet her, she has a, a, a less important job. And she's very smart with numbers. She's very detail-oriented. But she's sort of someone that everyone overlooks. And she ends up having this sort of double life where she becomes an art collector and not just an art collector, but like a dealer and someone who's like wheeling and dealing, like buying art low and selling it high. And this whole kind of, you know, making a killing and going to Christie's and she ends up going to Chicago. She ends up going to New York. She takes on a different name. 
she becomes Reba instead of Rebecca or Becky. And it's just this fascinating story of this woman, you know, who decides this is the career that she's always wanted. But of course, she doesn't have the money to be buying this art. So how does she get it? You know, and she's, she's so great with numbers and with all the accounts in town. And she just ends up, you know, doing what I'm not, I don't want to say everything, but you know, she's, she's not entirely above board. <laughs> you know, she, but she, everyone, it's just amazing how everyone overlooks her. And she's just this steady, quiet figure, very not glamorous, but then she becomes someone else entirely. And what's so interesting is what is driving her, which is this art, because I don't think I've ever read a book before where, you know, a woman has, has had this kind of hunger for this, for, for artwork in the way, you know, that this woman does. It's not that she creates it. It's that she wants to possess it. And, you know, where does that desire come from? It's just such an interesting theme that's sort of explored in the book. And, you know, where, where is she, when is she going to stop? What is going to ultimately, you know, what is going to satisfy her and how far is she willing to go and how, how much adrenaline is going to keep kicking in as she keeps sort of going on these capers. So it's a book I think that isn't on everybody's radar, but I liked it because it's so original. You know, it's, it's just a very unique premise, a unique idea. And I appreciate that right about now when, you know, we're all kind of coming out of our not a reading drought, but sort of an absence of stimulation in all the other areas of our lives, right? And so I just like having something that's unique that makes you say, oh, I haven't heard anything like this before is really terrific. Mm. That sounds really good. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I I think you guys would like it. I mean, there's <laughs> there's it's sort of one of those, if you like that kind of a story, you're going to really enjoy this book. It's clever. Well, I love books about an I'll say women in particular, but they can be, you know, men or women or women who tend to be sort of overlooked and underestimated. And it sounds like this is a theme in this book, which is really always attractive to me. Yeah. And what I appreciated is, in a, a lot of times when you do have a book like that, the woman to kind of get satisfaction or become something in a lot of, a lot of times those are the thrillers that you read and they end up, you know, like murdering someone, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's how they ultimately get seen is they murder someone or they do something terrible. And so this woman, you know, it's not, she's definitely not a saint a hundred percent, but there's no murder, you know, no, no <laughs> killing involved, no gore. And I, I just appreciated that she was really using her brain to, to figure all of this out. You know, and she was just, she was sneaky, but not in a murderous, bloody way. <laughs> She's being seen, but not by committing horrific crimes. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Elise, what's up for you? Well, I'm changing up my order now of my recommendations based on that, because I am now going to talk about someone who's dabbling on the fringes. This book I'm going to talk about now is Findlay Donovan is Killing It by El Casamano. And this is your perfect beat treat this summer. Um, this is funny. I mean, this is truly a laugh out loud funny book. I was lying in bed reading it, chuckling my head off, much to the amusement of my husband. It's such a clever concept. The idea is that Finley Donovan is a writer just on the brink. She is, you know, she's divorced from her husband, who's kind of on the verge of taking her to the cleaners again. Somehow he's going to try to take her kids away from her. She's just desperate to hold it together. In fact, look on the front of the book. Well, look, you can't see, but 
On the front of the book, it says, most moms are ready to kill someone by 8.30 a.m. on any given morning, dot, dot, dot. So (laughs) they have some fun with this idea of killing it. So the whole concept here is that this woman, this writer, Finley Donovan, goes to meet with her agent one day at a Panera Breads. And just through the clever use of language, the way they're talking about just being frustrated and, and how they're going to meet some deadlines and things like that. The woman sitting next door to the, you know, sitting at the next table over believes that Finley Donovan is a hit woman. And she passes a note right before fleeing the Panera, asking her to get in touch with her. (laughs) And so Finley Donovan is not a hit woman, far from it. But suddenly she finds herself kind of wrapped up in this mystery and in kind of circumstances that are a bit beyond her control. It's definitely there's some sort of madcap happenings in this where suddenly she does kind of have a murder on her hands. Not one that she's committed, per se, but she's got to kind of cover some things up. She's desperate to wrangle herself out of this situation. And and in any great sort of comedy, thing, it just keeps snowballing on her. So this is that clever book that you just, I feel like I rarely see that is comedy, that is mystery with a little murder thrown in with just a lot of, it's just so much fun. And again, just such a clever concept, I thought. So this is one that, you know, you can sit anywhere and be just kind of keeping an eye on your kids in the background while just chuckling at the mishaps that this poor Finley Donovan is going to find herself in one after another in this book. There is a sequel that just came out. I haven't read that one yet, but this one is, she totally nails it. That sounds great. I was just going to ask you if you'd read the sequel. So. I haven't yet. No, no. I just, I truly just finished this one about a week ago. Really enjoyable. Definitely another unique career. Yes, yes, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And again, it's all very tongue in cheek. So this one isn't too heavy. It's not going to give anyone nightmares or anything like that. I could say this one, if you like Jane the Virgin, the TV show, you will love Finley Donovan is killing it. It's along that vein of sort of madcap fun. Sounds like a fun one. Yes. All right, Linda, what's up for you? Oh, my goodness. Now I don't know which to choose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm i going to talk about another fun one because that one is sort of giving me vibes about, about another one that I just finished that I wasn't even going to talk about today. So it's not even <laughs> on my list that I sent you, Elise. It's like, I'm going rogue, you guys. I like it. <laughs> so I just read... I sort of half read, half listened to Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I am seeing that book everywhere right now. Tell it's me so about good. it. Oh my God. It is so, the voice of this main character, the voice of this story is so special. It is so different. It's so fun. Like I said, I half read it, half listened to it. And I think I'm going to go back and like, go listen to the other half I didn't listen to and go read the other half in print that I didn't read because it's that good. Elizabeth Zott is a scientist in California in like the 1960s and she falls in love with another scientist and she somehow, I'm not going to tell you everything because it's so special. The thing is this book is so funny and so just wacky, but then it's very heartfelt and has all these very like just universal themes. And that to me is what makes a book just special when you can take all of the funny and somehow make it so meaningful as well. Mm. So she she ends up just through just a set of strange circumstances having a cooking show. And she is a no-nonsense woman. And she has this cooking show called Supper at Six. 
but she teaches, she's really teaching women chemistry when she's doing this cooking show. And she, like, she won't say salt, she'll say sodium chloride. And she gives, <laughs> you know, everything has its chemical name. And she'll talk about pH levels and acidity. And she is absolutely a feminist. She's had a lot of struggles in her life as a female scientist. Men have taken advantage of her and done terrible things to her. And she ends up getting this show and she is just empowering all the women who are watching, who all sit there just enwrapped and just like taking notes, <laughs> writing down. She does one episode where she talks about like poison mushrooms and how they might, you know, very easily be put into a casserole. <laughs> 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 it is safe to say that no one in California touched their casserole that night. <laughs> you know, every at the end of every show, she looks into the camera and she says, children, set the table. Your mother needs a moment for herself. And that's how she signs off every show. And it's just, it's just terrific. I mean, so she's a scientist and a cooking show hostess, and she couldn't be more wonderful. I mean, I just, my, the saddest thing about this book is that it's not real, like that it's actually fiction and that we all can't meet Elizabeth Zott and become best friends with her. And she has a dog named 630. Yep. <laughs> Would this book be uh, okay? So I recently got AirPods, and now all of a sudden I am absolutely destroying my audiobook game. Like I am listening to so many things because suddenly I'm not wrestling with cords. You know, I'm just free. I'm listening as I'm cooking, as I'm cleaning my house, as I'm out walking the dog. So I'm listening to so many. Would th this sounds like it'd be a great audiobook. It's a great audiobook. Oh, okay, it's fantastic. It's just, I mean, I listen in my car as we. Said, which the listeners won't know. I don't have any headphones. <laughs> I, mean, I have in my life had headphones, but I always lose them. I don't know where any of them are. So I listen in my car. And I, like, I, this is one of those books where honestly, like I drove further than I needed to just because I didn't want to stop listening. And I sat in my driveway just like listening. Oh my gosh. That's what I do. And my kids are like, why are you sitting in the garage? I'm like, either I'm finishing up a phone call or I'm finishing up some portion of an audiobook. They want her to dress like, more risque, you know, this female mm. doing this cooking show. And she's like, no, this is not a cooking show. It's a chemistry show. And it just happens that I'm cooking. And so, you know, she really pushes back on all the stereotypes and the, you know, the way men want to pigeonhole women. And I just thought that that was great. Oh, this yeah. is just bumped way up my list. Okay. This is a ring, ringing endorsements from you both. I love it. It's going to be a TV show on Apple TV and Brie Larson starring in it. Oh, my right. God. She's going to be perfect. Yeah. I can just see her. I didn't know that. That's going to be great. Yeah. So I thought that was fun. That'll be great. All right, Elise, what's your next one? There's a lot of pressure now. Yeah, no, well, I will follow. I like how we're also sort of developing theme as we go here. I'll follow that theme of being kind of an academic-like figure in a book and go to The Cartographers by Peng Shepard. First of all, this cover of this book is so gorgeous. I love it. It's just this beautifully designed cover. This is a book that was so interesting to me. So I love maps. I've always loved maps. In my new book, Angels of the Pacific, there is a map. Thanks to you, Cindy. That was your recommendation, actually, when you read the early version of the book. So I've always loved maps. This is a book about people who create maps. And it's set partly in the New York Public Library. And it kind of kicks off with a murder. And then our main character is essentially trying to solve these murders with, and maps are involved. And she has been demoted from her job as a cartographer or, or sort of managing the maps uh, department at the New York Public Library because of something she did that I won't really reveal. That she is, she comes from cartographer royalty, let's say. <laughs> like her father and mother were considered 
wonderful cartographers back in the day. And, and there's some mystery about what happened to her mother. And so all will be revealed as she tracks down this group of cartographers who used to, in graduate school, be so close with her parents. And, and this mystery will be revealed and it involves magical realism. So we're back to that, Linda, which Yay. I just... It was, it's used so cleverly in this book of, of, of a way a city is revealed through maps that apparently Peng Shepard discovered that all maps have a little bit of a tell where the cartographer who created it has left a little something in there that isn't real just to, so the map can't get duplicated over and over again. A phantom settlement. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Have you read this book? Yes. Actually, it was our second Patreon early read. It's one of my favorite books of the year. I just loved it. So clever, so clever and wonderful characters. And I just love, I mean, it really has everything I love, the New York Public Library and maps and this element that's so well done of magical realism and a mystery and murder, all of it. I really felt this was a great mashup of different genres. Felt, as I said, just like nothing I'd ever read before. And I, this was another one I just flew through. It appealed to me initially because the map at issue, which this is not a spoiler, is an old Esso gas station map. And my yes. dad worked for Exxon his entire career. And so when we were young and you still used maps and, you know, you were road tripping, we always got them at the gas station. We had them everywhere. Like even when I was clearing my parents' stuff out, we were still finding these old maps, you know, folded up and stuffed different places. And so I was very interested in it because of that initially. But it was just so well done. It's a great book. It is. And they also use, um, Peng Shepard also uses technology in such a clever way in this. It really draws in, you know, the, so it certainly gets into the kind of historical aspect of maps, but also how maps, their usage, their creation has really evolved today. Right. And I thought that was really fascinating too. So I, I felt like this was one of those gems where I learned a ton. I really was studying this book as a reader, as a writer everything. It kind of checked all of the boxes for me of things that I enjoy. I agree. And it was just so clever. And I love yes. clever books. So, I have a book. Now I have to go to a different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of this book next because it has a great map in the beginning. And mm. this is a different. So this is a fantasy book. It's called, called Scorpica. And it's by Greer McAllister. But she, Greer, I'm sure that some of the listeners will know she is, she's written historical fiction. But she's taken a detour writing as G.R. McAllister, and she is writing a five-book fantasy series, which is called The Five Queendoms. So it's kind of like a little bit Game of Thrones-esque if, we, if you have people in your audience who, who like that sort of thing, which I definitely do. So Scorpica is the first book and Scorpica is, Scorpica is the first kingdom. So the, when you open up the book, it has this map, like, you know, of the whole fantasy kingdom. And it sort of reminds me, you know, when you read like The Hobbit and, it, and you open it up and there's that map and it's just, I don't know. I just always remember that from when I was younger, just looking, looking at that book and studying the map and trying to figure out where everything was. There's something, I also love maps, but I particularly love fantastical maps, you know, mm -hmm. maps of realms that don't exist because I don't know, there's just something so fun about them just to say like, here is a world that I made up and I'm going to make up a map just to prove mm -hmm. it to you, you know, that, that somewhere in my mind it exists. Um, so Scorpica is full of women with interesting and fantastic careers because the women are, it's a matriarchal society and the women are in charge of everything. And there, when it starts, there's a drought of girls. So girls haven't been born for a long time. And because girls are in charge of everything, this is a big problem. But 
what's so fascinating about this story is that the women in it are not just, they're not just queens and like, I don't know, just the typical sort of fantasy female roles. They're everything. They're everything good, bad, ugly, and in between. So there is just like an immortal sorcerer who's just like the darkest, most awful, terrible character. And there, there is a huntress. You know, there are people, women killing people. There are women doing all kinds of magic, dark and, and light, and just trying to sort of keep their kingdom alive and keep keeping it running. And it's just, I don't know, there's something so vibrant about it, something so alive about it. And even though a lot of the characters are brutal and terrible, the fact that they're all women just makes it so... I don't know, refreshing, even even though it's not necessarily, you know, uplifting, but it's refreshing in its own way. So I, I really enjoyed this story. And for any of your listeners who, who like fantasy, I would say this is a great one to start. I'm excited for the next one. I didn't know it was part of a five book series. I knew she'd written it. I follow her on Twitter. So I'd seen as it was coming out, I'm not really a fantasy reader, so I had not picked it up. But I didn't realize it was the beginning of a big series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So Great. This is the first book. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people are going to really like it. I, I do think I've never kind of followed a fantasy writer from the beginning of a series. I don't tend to write, I tend to read more magical realism things. I don't really tend to read heavy duty fantasy a lot. Um, I wanted to read this one because Greer wrote it and she's such a great writer that I knew she would do a wonderful job with it. But I've certainly never kind of been in on a fantasy series from the beginning, you know, before it's like all done and all the books are there to read. I think I did read the Game of Thrones books, but only after the TV show was already on. So then I knew, you know, that it was out there and then all of the books were there to read. But it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the momentum for this picks up as the books keep coming out and the story gets more and more developed. Absolutely. That sounds great. Yes, I have had that one on my list of one I, I definitely want to read. I like I liked Greer's past books, her historical fiction, so I anticipate enjoying this new turn she's taking. Yeah. It's fun to see an author try something different because you know it's not something that we always get to do. Right. It it's it's not as easy as you might think it would be. Right. So true. That's always such a fascinating thing to me. Like that is something I had no idea about when I started all of this that it is a little more complicated sometimes to switch genres. It does seem like it's getting easier and more authors are starting to do it. But it's just one of those things that, you know, you don't know until you're in the midst of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a cool conversation for another day. Next time you guys can come on and we can talk about yeah. that. Right. <laughs> Elise, what's up for you? Well, I'm going to cheat a little because I haven't finished this book. <laughs> But I'm still going to talk about it because I'm just so intrigued by it. And I think it's really another really original idea here. And so this is historical fiction. It's called The Shadow King. And I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this author's name right, but I'll do my best. It's Maza Mengiste. And it is set during Mussolini's 1935 invasion of Ethiopia. So early, early World War II. And it's all about the women soldiers who fought for Ethiopia. So it just right there, fascinating concept to me. And the author does write in the afterward that she is taking a little liberty with history. So that's kind of why I'm jumping from Scorpica to this one. When I mentioned earlier that I thought Kate Quinn was really treading new territory with the diamond eye and really a woman fighting, 
that's really also kind of what propelled me to this book. I was down on the coast of Oregon and Cannon Beach uh, has this beautiful bookstore. And this was, it's Cannon Beach Book Company in case anyone's on their way there. And um, this was a staff pick there. So I love those little recommendation cards there. You know, staff members write up personally and, and stand by. To me, those are better than any algorithm out there by far. So I am really intrigued that there's this orphan. I love a book, first of all, about orphans too. <laughs> I don't know, but, but I just love when someone's thrust out in the world and they just have to figure it out on their own. And this is exactly what that is. This orphaned maid named Hirut finds herself, she's left with an old family rifle. That's kind of the heirloom that's been given to her, which right then and there feels so unique to me. You know, normally girls are given jewelry or, or something like that. So the fact that she's been given this rifle and that that's going to dictate so much of the direction of, of what's to come. I just love that as a premise. And the writing is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's no wonder this was a New York Times notable book of the year um, when back in 2019. So not that, not that long ago. And, you know, I just love the setting in Africa. I mean, I love reading books set in places where that I don't know much about and that I can learn about. So this manages to fulfill a bunch of the things I'm always looking for when I want to escape and, and learn and read and be entertained. This one is, is doing all of those things. So again, more women in kind of less likely jobs, women actually fighting on the front lines of a war. Oh my God, I have another orphan book. <laughs> right. I mean, also, I just love, you know, this is the thing about World War II is it takes us, can take us to so many different places, so many places we know so little about. I think sometimes we think World War II, we immediately think England, France, Germany. But I mean, the stage is all over the world. And this is a book that really makes the most of that, takes us to a place we know, or at least I knew very little about. And I'm really ready to read more. <laughs> well, that's what I love about your latest book, Elise. Because oh, I didn't you. know anything about about Bataan. I, I just, I loved your story so much because I knew nothing about that part of the war. Well, thank you. I mean, that was to me too. I mean, I, you know, I read to learn. I write to learn. I was so eager myself, a little intimidated at first, I should add, but to delve into a, a part of the world I knew really nothing about, had never been to. Yeah, I traveled for that book to the Philippines to learn. I mean, I, I really, I think especially right now, maybe where we've all been a little more homebound lately, to be taken all over the world to some really interesting places is part of what makes reading so special. And I think the other thing that was interesting about your book, Elise, was that, again, when you think of World War II, a lot of times you do think of France and Germany and cold and, right. you know, buttoning up and that terrain. And so it was really interesting to read about a different part of the world where it's a jungle and it's so hot and the bugs and totally different things that they were facing with their environment before they even got into the aspects of the war. Right. I know. I mean, that's something actually, too, that The Great Circle does so well. I mean, The Great Circle, while it kind of starts um, in the beginning of World War One, it will take us to World War Two, and it'll take us to England. It will also take us to the South Pacific. So this is another one of these sort of sweeping epics. Um, and I love that. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that is... When I can't necessarily always travel to all the places I want to go to, um, reading is able to fill in those gaps for me so wonderfully. You can be an armchair traveler. Absolutely. The accidental tourist, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to go to, to my orphan book now, Elise, because now like, you're, you started you know, the, the whole orphan theme. Yes. Theme. So my next book is, it also, 
Well, it's called She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Yeah. Did you read it? Yes. Yes. I saw this on your list. Who's the author again? Because I just missed it. I just want to make sure I have the author down. It's Shelley Parker Chan. Okay. And it it's set in China in 1345 when China's under Mongol rule. And it's about a young girl who lives with her father and her brother. Her mother has passed away. They're starving. They're literally just like they're they're there's they're surrounded by dust. There's nothing to eat. I think it starts and they're like hunting lizards and trying to find anything at all to eat. And of course, you know, the position of the girl in the family is not not thought she's not thought of very highly. And her brother is like the eighth born, I think it's the eighth born son named Zhu Changba. And before they starve to death, they, they go to see someone who sort of gives people prophecies. And he looks at the two children and says to the girl, well, says to the boy, you know, you, he prophesies such greatness, tremendous greatness, unbelievable greatness for the boy. And the girl, there is nothing. But the boy and the father die of starvation. And the girl is the only one strong enough. And she takes over the brother's identity. So she becomes Zhu Changba. And she ends up pretending to be a man going to a monastery, pretend, you know, just as a, as a male novice, pretending to, to be that, pretending that that's, you know, what she wanted and does incredibly well and somehow continues to just keep advancing in the world and just using all of her intelligence, all of her just like will to survive, to keep going and not just survive, but to thrive and to attain greatness and ends up, you know, becoming more and more elevated in the world um, until just this ultimate prize becomes her of, of emperor. And it's just, it's this amazing story. It's so beautifully written. I mean, it's like poetry in the beginning, like absolute yes. poetry. And in fact, in the beginning, I wasn't even really paying attention to the plot. I couldn't even follow the plot because I was just so focused on the words and on the writing. But it's just, it was just a delight. And again, one of those stories that truly takes you to another, an, a complete, different era. It is sweeping. It is another one of those grand um, mystic stories. And I just, I really enjoyed it. But I, I, I do also really love an orphan story, Elise. So I'm with you there, you know, right? Oliver Twist. <laughs> yeah. You always know there's something very freeing about writing about an orphans. And I'm sure that's why so many people do it. And of course it's, it's your character of, of every comfort and you just have to, you know, push them on from there. Right. But this is a great one. So I I mean, you don't often have a, a female character who becomes so incredibly powerful in her world. And I love that about this book. This book, I agree. It's very clever. And I it's your description at the beginning is so interesting because it could sound as so grim to someone listening to us. Yeah. But actually this was one of the most propulsive beginnings to a book I can recall in recent history. I really got sucked right in. And, and I really credit the author to that. We're always told as writers that strong openings are very important. And this one absolutely nails that. Mm-hmm. I agree. There are just so many parts where I had to keep going back and rereading passages in this story because it was so beautiful. I love when the writing is like that. And then, you know, you want to just repeat the sentences and you want to go back and look at it. Or it makes me kind of stop and think about it for a minute. That's just, I love when it's like that. So true. Well, you guys have been fantastic. This has just been wonderful. I have loved the conversation. I have learned about some new books. I have heard about some books that I love already. 
So I just thank you both so much for taking the time to come on this special Patreon episode. This was such a pleasure. I mean, here we were talking about the importance of in-person meetings, but I think this is the perfect example of how great it is. Podcasts, Zoom, all these things where now we can connect through all these different mediums because it is so fun to talk about books. I love hearing about great recommendations. So thanks to you both for having me. I had such a great time. Thank you, Cindy. It was just what Elise said. You know, it's so great to be able to to talk about books in whatever, whatever format. I just would love, I hope one day I get to see you both in person. I would like to sit and have a glass of wine with both of you and talk some more about all these delicious, wonderful books that we have. I think we're just, we're, we're lucky that way that, that this is something that fuels us, you know, and feeds our souls. So I'm, I'm just, I feel really lucky to have had this time to talk with both of you. Well, me too. And thank you again. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.